Today is All Saints Sunday. Did you guys know that? Unless you knew that. Yeah, right? And uh, so I found a prayer that was written by uh, Sarah Hargraves. Uh, this was posted on her website called engageworship.org. And this is going to be a prayer in light of All Saints Sunday. And during the prayer, I'm going to say a phrase that says, See, I am making all things new. And your response will be, Amen, make all things new. Let's, let's try this out. See, I am making all things new. Amen, make all things new. Okay? Let's pray. We have hope because John writes in Revelation chapter 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the old order of things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. We pray for those who are lonely. We hope in the promise that the home of God will be among people that God will dwell with us, that we will be His people, and that God Himself will be with us. We mention in our hearts those we know who are lonely or isolated. Lord, you said, see, I am making all things new. Amen. Make all things new. We pray for those who are crying, the sad, the depressed, and the anxious. We hope in the promise that God will wipe every tear from our eyes. We mention in our hearts those we know who are sad and those who know tears. Lord, you said, see, I am making all things new. Amen. Make all things new. We pray for those who are experiencing the consequences of death, the bereaved and those who are in mourning. We hope in the promise that death and mourning will be no more. And so we mention in our hearts those we know who are affected by death and mourning.
Lord, you said, see, I am making all things new. Amen. Amen. Make all things new. We pray for those who are in pain, suffering from illness, either physical or mental. We hope in the promise that crying and pain will be no more. And so we mention in our hearts those we know who are ill or in pain. Lord, you said, see, I am making all things new. Amen. Amen. Make Make all things new. We pray for those who are thirsty for truth, love, and grace. Those who seek God and His life with earnest hearts. We hope in the promise that God will give water to the thirsty without cost from the spring of the water of life. And so we mention in our hearts those we know who hunger and thirst for God. Lord, you said, see, I am making all things new. Amen. Make all things new. Lord, your words are trustworthy and true. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And we pray all of this in the powerful and hopeful name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Our scripture today comes from Revelation chapter 7. I'm going to be reading verses 9 through 17. You're going to hear a lot of the same stuff that you heard in our prayer from Revelation 21, uh, and that's okay. We need to hear these things a couple of times. Listen now for a word from the Lord. After this, I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, singing, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these robed in white, and where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you are the one that knows. And then he said to me, These are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and worship Him day and night within His temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, 
and he will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. A word from God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So today is All Saints Day. Uh, it's the day in which we honor, we remember, uh, particularly our beloved church members who have passed through that liminal space. Remember that word I taught you last week, that liminal space between life and death to enter into the bliss of God. Now, y'all, I, I always get nervous on All Saints Day because if you start mentioning the names, inevitably you're going to miss a name and somebody's going to be upset or you're going to mispronounce a name and somebody's going to be upset. But I think, I think we've had two this year. J. Paul Driggers and most recently, Marianne Locke. Did I miss anybody from this year? Yeah, I don't know that he was a member of the church. So we celebrate particularly members of this congregation who have passed into that bliss of God uh, within the last year. I didn't know that. I, I wasn't raised Methodist. I grew up Baptist. We didn't do anything like that. And so my first Methodist service was... Um, not long after my grandmother passed, and as the pastor was reading out the names, my mom was, was understandably getting a little upset because she wanted to know if her mom's name was going to be included on that role. And we later found out, no, you know, this is just for church members. But of course, amongst us in this place, we have family members, we have loved ones, we have friends who have passed, and of course, we honor them today, too. This is not just uh, for church members alone. Uh, this is for all the saints who have gone, and not just in, in this past year, but in previous years. You know, year after year after year, All Saints is the day in which we celebrate that. And, of course, it's, it's a little bit sad. It's a sad day. Uh, it's a day that's typically filled with bittersweet memories. Typically, you start telling stories, and they make you laugh, but they also make you cry a little bit. And, and, uh, but it ultimately, I think, is a, a day of celebration. Dan, did I miss one? I think Pat was the previous year, I believe. But we'll say Pat Steelhammer just in case, Richardson. But yeah, I believe that was the previous year. Um, if I'm not mistaken. But, of course, we celebrate her today, too. And your mom, of course, we celebrate your mom, you know. Yeah. We're fortunate that we, we haven't had a lot of folks pass into that place amongst us. Um, but as I said, it's, it's, it's bittersweet. It's a day of celebration um, because we know where they are, right? But this is the day in which the, uh, the lectionary takes us all the way to the last book of the Bible, Revelation. Now, by the way, I just think this is fascinating. Revelation in Greek is the word apocalypse, okay? When you hear the word apocalypse, you usually think um, uh, fire and brimstone and devil horns and uh, missiles and earthquakes and all kinds of bad stuff. It really just means 
unveiling, taking the veil away from something which was previously hidden. We now know something that we didn't know before. And this is what the book of Revelation is all about, apocalypse, unveiling. But for, for 2,000 years now, we have scoured the pages of Revelation. Countless studies have been written on it, movies made about it, some comical, some not so comical. But we look through this book uh, asking those really, really big questions like, where do my loved ones go when they die? What are they seeing right now? Where will I go when I die? What will I see? Will it be frightening that moving from that liminal space from this to that, will that be frightening at all? Because I feel frightened. Just the thought of, of that uh, it seems uncomfortable, so I really would rather not think about it. Will I know my loved ones when I get there? Will I recognize them? Will they know me? Will I get to meet members of my family that I had only heard stories about from previous generations? And of course, the biggest question is, what do I have to do to make sure I end up in that place and not the other? That's the biggest question that we look through Revelation, hoping we can find an answer to that. But let me give you some context to what was going on when this book was being written. This was written by a man named John. He was exiled to an island called Patmos, and this was around the year 95. Now, we know this because several people after the book told us this is when John wrote this book. And so we know what was going on at the time that he wrote this in his current context, and they were smack dab in the middle of the reign of Emperor Domitian. Have you ever heard of Domitian before? Domitian was a beast of a man. He hated Christians more than anything else. The Roman emperor, he was in the habit of beheading and crucifying and burning Christians alive. The more Christians he could kill, the better off he felt about things. So when John talks about the Antichrist, in his letter, the unveiling, you better believe Domitian fit the bill to a T. Domitian was the Antichrist, and they all knew it. And John said, do not be afraid of this man. Last until the end, and you'll see what awaits you. And so this is what John is trying to do. In light of this widespread, horrific suffering and trauma, he's specifically writing to seven churches that were undergoing persecution and he wanted to paint this mental image of comfort for them that said, I know you're being killed. I know you're being persecuted. I know you're losing your loved ones right and left and even your own lives. But something awaits you that is beyond your imagination. And so in Revelation 7, he gives us just a snapshot of what he sees and and. In this image, he sees a multitude so great that no one can count it. Have you ever seen a multitude so great you can't count? I can only imagine what this looks like, but he's painting a mental image for them and for us. A multitude so great that you cannot even begin to count it. And in this multitude are people from every nation, every language, all races, all ethnicities, all cultures, and they're all standing before God in continual worship. In fact, 
when we take communion in a little bit, we will join them in some of the things that John says they are saying even now. Holy, holy, holy is our Lord God Almighty, right? We're going to join them in what John says is happening right now before the throne. And in this place, John says there is no more suffering, there is no more hunger, there is no more thirst, there are no more tears. We might say this is paradise. John is giving us an image of paradise. And so this is where we begin to get our ideas of what heaven must be like. Because I've never seen a place like that here on this earth. I just have to flip on the news and I can tell you real quickly, this place doesn't look like what John is describing. So we imagine this must be up in the clouds somewhere. Uh, we have these, these uh, images of St. Peter standing at the gates and he checks your, your name and your uh, social security number when you get up there. And if you're on the roll, then you get handed a, a little golden harp and maybe a set of wings and you then begin to play and sing along with everyone else. I got to tell you, as a kid, I thought, boy, that sounds really boring. I mean, can we, can we go play or something? We just have to sing the whole time? Is that what really what we're going to be doing? But with this image in mind, we're, we're happy for our loved ones this morning who have gone before. We long to join them someday, but not too soon, God. Right, because I'm still a little iffy about that transition from this to that. But we do look forward to the day that we will rejoin them. But I got to tell you something. Because throughout Christian history, there have been these quirky groups of people that we call mystics, the Christian mystics. I had to take a class on Christian mysticism in college and seminary. I thought, what the heck is this? I didn't realize it. That throughout Christian history, there have been these people kind of dotting the, the sea of Christians that have given us a different way to see things. And, and John on the Isle of Patmos must have been a mystic to give us this unveiling, this seeing of things that was previously hidden. He must have been in touch with the Creator in a way that most of us are not. But John was not the only one. I mentioned last week Thomas Merton, one of my favorites. Teresa of Avila. Uh, Meister Eckhart. Here's one you know, Joan of Arc. Joan of Arc was a mystic. right? Well, the mystics, they entered into this... Uh, type of prayer with God and they began to see things that most of us can't see like what John is describing here and all of them every mystic that has ever existed came to the same conclusion that conclusion was this experience that's found in Revelation is not just for the dead not just for the dead now, our Pentecostal brothers and sisters, they probably already know this, right? We're a little too reserved. But the mystics have said, this image in Revelation 7 is not just for the dead. Here's the real kicker. It's not just Christian mystics that have come to this conclusion. 
Did you know there are Muslim mystics called Sufis? Did you know there are Jewish mystics called Kabbalists? Did you know that the people of the Hindu faith, the people of the Buddhist philosophy and Taoist philosophy, did you know even the Beatles knew this? They all came to the same conclusion. They all say the same thing. And here's what they say. If you empty yourself of self, just like Paul encourages us to do in Philippians 2.7. Remember that? Jesus says, take on the mind of Christ who emptied himself. Paul encourages us to empty ourselves. Jesus says in Matthew 16, if you deny yourself, another way of saying empty yourself, if you deny yourself, if you lose your life for my sake, you will find new life on the other side of that. But if you're willing to do that, then in the darkness and the emptiness on the other side, you encounter the ultimate source of all things. God. Life. The light of the world. And so a mystic would read Revelation 7 and they would say, oh, I know exactly what John's talking about. John's not talking about a future time or something that only the dead can experience. John is talking about something that is here for us now, especially those who are suffering. Because those who suffer tend to empty themselves of self. Right? When there's nothing left to give. When you are at the the bottom of the barrel, the end of your rope, well, you're out of self. <laughs> and those people tend to see this. And so John is writing this to people who are undergoing intense suffering. But the mystic would say, it's not just for the dead. It's for every one of us. And they would testify that the multitudes that John tells us about in this image are of the living who have found the divine throne room right in the center of themselves. That's what they would say. And at this discovery, I told you about Catherine of Genoa, who during communion, taking communion, and she went running out into the streets because she, she had found this. She said, the deepest me is God. Right? She had one of these experiences. This discovery... When you come to the end of yourself and you find that God is your life in the center of you, then suffering, things like suffering and hunger and pain and loss and sorrow and anger and frustration just pale in comparison. It doesn't even matter anymore. Because now I know. So we, according to the mystic, we living, along with the dead, are with God even now in this place. The difference between them and us is that most of us haven't realized it, and they have. Folks, I agree with this. I agree with this. We spend so much time invoking, Holy Spirit, come and fall upon us. And God's just going, 
Holy Spirit's there in full measure, folks. Right now, it's yours. You just got to get yourself out of the way. Let go, and you will see it. My devotional reading on Friday. Legend, pull up this, uh, this quote. This was my devotional reading on Friday. That's Richard Rohr, by the way, who, who wrote the, uh, the devotional we're going to do. He says, we do not have to wait for our death and final resurrection before love and light is revealed within us. Most of us, if we are listening and looking, also have such resurrection moments in the middle of our lives when the veil parts now and then. That's Patrick Boland who co-wrote this book that I'm reading. When the veil parts now and then. Remember Revelation, Apocalypse, unveiling, right? There is a veil. We walk around with this thick veil. Every now and then, that veil parts, and we see through that, and we go, oh, my gosh, I didn't know. I had no idea. Maybe you've had some moments like these, right? You go visit the Grand Canyon. That's a veil-parting moment. Veil-parting moment. You hold a, a newborn infant baby in your hand. Guess what? You're not thinking about yourself anymore. You, you look into the eyes of this brand new baby, your concept of self, who you are, gone, doesn't matter anymore. Because you have this brand new life in your hand. That, that's a veil-parting moment. Suffering can become veil-parting moments. Beauty and awe can become veil-parting moments. For Catherine of Genoa, it was communion, became a veil-parting moment. But what John was trying to say to these seven churches undergoing this terrible persecution and suffering from that beast of a man, Domitian, and before him was Nero. Nero was no better. He's trying to say, behind this veil is a scene that I'm, I'm seeing right now. It's happening right now, and it's available for the living and the dead. And my prayer for you is that that veil parts just a little bit for you to see in this life. You know, on Monday we have our breakfast club meeting. And we were talking about the differences between a cure and healing. Uh, and this is, this is kind of what we, we talked about. We said a cure is to make an ailment go away, right? So I've got a, I've got a tweaked knee, you know, and it gets cured and my knee is working fine. But to heal is to enter a space where the ailment itself doesn't cause suffering anymore. Where you transcend the ailment itself, right? So Jesus cured a lot of people. When we read the gospel accounts, Jesus cured a lot of people, but he really seemed more interested in bringing healing, wholeness, of body, mind, and spirit. What he called abundant life or eternal life. Why? Well, because he knew cures are just temporary band-aids. If you fix my tweaked knee, it's going to get tweaked again. Right? If I have a fever and my fever goes away, chances are I'm going to get a fever again. This is the life we live. Suffering and pain is, is, is part of it. And yes, sometimes you can 
get a cure from that, but you're probably going to face it again. And Jesus was much more interested in a more permanent fix, which is healing. And so on Monday, as we sat around the table and we talked about this, we all agreed we would much rather find healing than just cures. If we can get into that place where we transcend the suffering of this life, man, give me that all day long. I'll take it. I think the folks in Revelation 7, whether you interpret it as alive folks or dead folks, they've found healing. I think they're residing in healing where hunger and thirst no longer have power over them, where heat and cold can no longer rob them of joy, where sorrow no longer produces tears. Why? Because they know the Lamb is at the center of their being. They've encountered the Lamb. They've encountered that ancient throne room. And now, this living water that Jesus talks about, that Jesus says, it's going to bubble up within you. This living water springs up from within them and can no longer ever be quenched. No suffering in this world can quench the joy of what is inside you and welling up and spilling out now into the world. People thought the mystics were crazy, right? You might think I'm crazy right now. Because, like I said, you just turn on the news. You just turn on the news. And you go, whatever you're talking about is a pie-in-the-sky dream. If anything like this exists, it has to be in the next life. And the mystics said, no, no, this is right here, right now, for those who have eyes to see. I guess here's what I'm saying. We say this all the time. We say the dead are in a better place now, right? We say that. Oh, she's in a better place now. Folks, I think that's a mistake. I think it's a mistake to say that the dead are in a better place or the goal of this life is to somehow escape this world and make it to wherever they are, and that's the goal of life. Because in Revelation 21, we see God's throne coming out of heaven and landing in this place that God cares so much about, that God made in the beginning and said, it's very good. And in John's vision, God is here dwelling with the people. Not yet, man. But this is the hope of Jesus. This is the hope of Jesus, that we encounter the throne of God right here, right now, in you, in your neighbor, in the world. And when the veil parts and you have this encounter, when you have this experience, when you know what you previously did not know, other people might think you're crazy, but you will now know where the saints are. You will now know what to expect at your last breath. It won't be a surprise anymore because you've already experienced it. I've come to the end of myself, and I know now what to expect. You will know paradise before paradise. And I think this was the whole reason Jesus came, 
This is why Jesus lived and died and rose again was to burn this image into our hearts and minds. I'm going to go all the way so that you cannot look away from this message. It will be burned into your hearts and your minds. And then remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. One last mystic, Julian of Norwich. She got very, very ill. She was on the brink of death, near-death experience. And in that near-death experience, Jesus visited her. And she had all kinds of questions for Jesus. And you know what Jesus said? He said, Julian, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. That's what she clung to the rest of her life. She came out of her illness, and she said, Look, I don't know everything, but Jesus told me, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. This, all saints, I want you to know, we are all held in God. Saints past and present are held in God. Our loved ones, living and dead, all held secure. Even the universe itself is held in God, which is why we sing the children's song, He's got the whole world in His hand. It's not just a song. It's not just a song. It's true. And so the takeaway from today, though I want you to walk away from, whether you believe it or not, whether it's, whether it's too hard to accept or not, I want you to hear this message. All shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of thing shall be well. In the name Amen. of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Now join hands and receive this. Sneak between you guys. Receive this blessing from Proverbs 18:24. There is one who sits closer than sister or brother, one who is closer than father or mother, one who is even closer than spouse or lover, one who is closer than your very self, and yet is none other you are made in his image. May you find this one whose presence melts all fears and loneliness and suffering and pain. May you find this one who refuses to dish out condemnation and revenge and judgment and shame. May you find this one who even now beckons you to give up your life so that you might find it again. As the dawn of eternity reveals that you and the one name of this one who promises that if you seek, you shall find. Go forth with this blessing until we are gathered once again.